Now there's a man, you may have heard, you probably have heard the name, uh, Charles Lindbergh was a world famous aviator, flew planes back in the early 1900s, and uh, a lot of the things he's famous for, uh, one of the things is his accomplishment was he, he flew the first non-stop flight from New York City to Paris on May 20th and 21st, 1927. And that must have been pretty, took two days to fly that, he's probably, you know, he's there, over the ocean, first time it's ever been done, he probably stressed up, but he made it, and he's famous for that, but unfortunately he's also famous uh, for something a little bit more, uh, for something a lot more this, you know, sad and, and disturbing, and that's uh, his son, Charles Jr., uh, on March 31st, 1932, um, was abducted. This poor little boy, two years old, was taken from his home, second floor of this big house. Charles Lindbergh was very, very, very wealthy. And uh, someone climbed up a ladder into the window, took the baby, and then it wasn't until a little bit while later that the nurse discovered this. There were some muddy footprints, but they just couldn't. And there's also a ransom note left on the windowsill saying they wanted $50,000. Just an awful, awful situation. Um, after that ransom note, they tried to figure things out, and over the next few months, there were more ransom notes, upping the amount to 70000 all these different things, and, and that carried on those ransom notes, 9, 10, 11 ransom notes over the next year. Well, tragically, just two months after um, the, uh, the, the initial abduction, um, the baby's life had already been taken. This poor child's life had already been taken um, and had been, you know, just... It was hidden away, so they were still trying to figure out and find him. And finally, it was found a while later. And two years later, after all this, two and a half years later, after he was abducted, that's how long it took. Back then, there's no cell phones, there's no emails to check, and GPS, none of that. So they're like trying to talk to people and figure out where this money's going, because the money was given to someone. And it had already been given, and still, the baby's life had been taken. But two and a half years later, Bruno Richard Hoffman was finally, after an investigation through the FBI and everything, was finally caught, arrested, uh, convicted, and he was sentenced to death and paid for his crimes that way. Now, during the, the case, during the case uh, when he was being tried, someone, after all this, was quoted as saying this about Charles Lindbergh, the father. He said, poor old Lindy. Tonight he's worth $6 million and will give every cent of it to have his son. Now, the story reminds us of what it feels like to be desperate. Maybe you can identify on some level with, with desperation. We all understand the concept of what it means to be desperate. We are at your wit's end. You're at the end of all your resources. You're, you don't know what to do. And, and, and no amount of money or power or political cloud or resources can solve this problem in your life or solve this issue. And John 4 is a story of desperation. Where a man with a lot of power, with a lot of money, couldn't get what he wanted. So let's, let's look at the scriptures this, this, this morning. John chapter 4, verse 43. The scriptures are on the screen, or if you have your Bible, you can follow along. Let's read these first few verses. It says, now after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee. Now this was after he saw the woman at the well, and then she told all the city about him, and and all these different things, they came and heard, and then he told the disciples, hey, the harvest is white, look at these people, they, 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 it's ripe and ready for harvest. For Jesus himself testified uh, that a prophet, verse 44, hath no honor in his own country. So he left uh, where he was and went to Galilee, and he said, a prophet hath no honor in his own country. And what that means is kind of like this. I remember when I got back from college, and I thought I was the big man, I went back to my home church, 
And you know what people look at you as still? Little Donald. <laughs> Little Donald. Oh, he's so cute, isn't he? And I'm like, I'm a man now. You know, just like, and Jesus is kind of saying like, hey, he grew up in Galilee. He was the son of a carpenter, Joseph's son. He was a, a peasant, really. Very, not, not wealthy, nothing. And he's saying that he, he knew that his own hometown, those who knew him growing up would reject him. They wouldn't believe that he was God. They wouldn't accept him. In verse 45, it says, then he was coming to Galilee. And the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went up unto the feast. So, so they accepted him like they, they, they were excited to see him. They were pumped to see him. But Jesus wasn't saying that they were not going to let him come. He was saying they're not going to believe his word. So yes, they accepted him. Why? Because they remembered back in John chapter 2, we were talking about the, the, the wedding where Jesus turned the water into wine. They remembered that. They, they knew that this guy, uh, you know, did some cool miracles. He had some pretty awesome things. So they were looking for, for more magic tricks. Like, hey, yeah, come on, Jesus. Yeah, we want to see what you can do. Do something else. Do something fun. And they, 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 they let him come. They ran to him. They, they, they wanted him to be there. Verse 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And look at this. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is about 20 miles away at that time. There's no car. It's about a half day's journey, pretty far away. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought, verse 47, that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now pause for a minute. Nobleman means a royal official. Okay? Literally, the word, in, you know, when you study the, the language of Britain, means the king's man. That's what nobleman means. He was an official in the king's court. Herod was the king of that region at the time in charge. And this guy worked directly for him, for the king. So he had lots of money, he had lots of power, he had lots of authority, a lot of people underneath him. And like Lindbergh, though, and like us at some level, he is at a point of absolute desperation. The truth is, he could have gone to Jesus and said, hey, you, you're coming with me. Okay, guys, you know, you're, we're going back to my house. He could have brought an army with him. He could have sent for him and had him arrested and brought to him. But, but we see that he, he didn't go with the big army. He didn't send a letter that said, you better be here now or I'm going to take your life. He didn't do that. He went to him. And actually, it says that he went to Jesus himself. He may have had some people with him, like some bodyguards or whatever, but he went to talk. He didn't send someone else. He went to Jesus. And there's something about this man's spirit, this nobleman's spirit that we see in this, in this, uh, uh, this, this account that he's desperate. This desperation is humbling him. Besought. The word besought, that he besought means he's in agony. He's, he's begging and what's ironic about this is that usually, typically, rich royal officials uh, don't need poor Jewish carpenters. They don't need peasants. They, they got everything they need. But this guy, this rich, wealthy, authoritative figure, publicly goes to Jesus. Remember, all people were all around Jesus. They wanted to see what he was going to do. And this guy goes in front of all these people, and they know that he's a big shot, and he humbly goes and says, please. He begs, probably at the point in his mind as he's taking that journey from Capernaum to Galilee to find Jesus. Probably like, this cannot be happening right now. And maybe you've been there, church. When all of your resources, all of your hope, all, of you, all that you have, all that you are has run out. Why is this happening? God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? And this man, this nobleman is brought to a point that he's probably never been to before. He is brought to a point of dependence. 
where he needs somebody else. He is desperate. He is in a point of desperate, absolute desperation. His trial has flattened him. And can I say this, church, to you? Jesus understands your desperation. Jesus understands your desperation. And church, listen to me. If your desperation is what it takes to bring you into relationship with the God of the universe who's going to shepherd and care for you the rest of your life and then give you eternal life, if that desperation is what it takes to bring you to his side, then one day you are going to be glad for the desperation. You're going to be glad for the desperation. You'll be glad for whatever God used in your life to show you how fragile, how temporary, how unstable your life can be. And how you need something. You need someone who is absolutely durable and dependable and stable that makes you rock solid. But church, what we do is we hold God at bay until we're absolutely desperate. You know, we finally, everything falls apart. God, help me. God, have mercy on me. God, please Sometimes even in unbelief, people say things like, you know, God, if you're really there, can you show up, please? God, if you're really, if you're really real, but here's how good God is. And listen to this, church. Even when he is your last resort, he's really glad to see you. Amen, church? Even when he is your last resort, he's really glad to see you. It takes desperation to realize that we need Jesus. I don't like being in desperation. I feel like in the last few months, church, I have been at points of desperation. I have been at challenging points, and probably the most I've ever been. It's amazing how, like, seven years ago, like, a thousand dollars was like, I'll never be able to get that. Now I'm like, if I could just have ten thousand dollars, you know, it's like, as you get older, the amounts of money, like, you're like, yeah, thousand dollars is not that much. I can, I can, you know, I can get that. But it's, it's amazing how every the problems in life as you get older seem to just exponentially grow to where it's like this is impossible. But you know, every time I've said. This is going to be impossible. God shows that through him it is possible. But we face moments of desperation. And that's where this man was at. Look at verse 48. Make sure I'm yeah, the last verse here. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Now, he speaks to the man, but that word ye or you uh, in the scripture is actually plural. He's talking to all the people there. He's talking to all the Jewish people there. The people that are there to see the magic tricks, the signs, and the wonders. And he says, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. And there was the problem. Although Jesus appreciates small faith, which he says, hey, if you have faith is the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can move mountains. He appreciates small faith, but he's always, with that small faith, he's pushing us towards greater faith. He doesn't leave that small faith alone. He pushes us and tries to works, works to develop that faith into something greater. Just coming to Jesus, just this man coming to Jesus requires some faith. And just you deciding, I'm going to go to God with this problem. I'm going to go to God with this stress. I'm going to go to God with this struggle. Even just that church. Jesus takes that small faith and he works and gently and carefully develops it. Now, how does he do that? You know what he does with that small faith? He presses Right on the raw nerve of our need. You ever have like a toothache and a nerve or something like that? Like the second, like, ah! Jesus finds that spot where he knows we need him desperately. When we don't even realize it. And he seems to press right on that situation, that, that heart feeling that's so important to us. In verse 48, he's talking to all the people there. And he says, except you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. 
He said, you're all far more concerned with the magic tricks than with who I am and who I said that I am. You're not really believing me. You just want to see signs and wonders. That's what he's saying to these people. He's rebuking these people for wanting signs instead of just believing his word. They just want to see the show. He says, get your eyes off the sign, signs and get them on to me. Believe my words. The Jews are saying, show us signs. Show us a sign. And he says, no, no, believe my words. Believe what I'm saying to you. He knows the signs won't make a difference with these people anyway. He's going to do a lot more signs. He's going to do a lot more miracles that they're going to see. And, and he's even going to raise the dead, and they, they'll still shout at one point. These people are still going to say, crucify him. We don't want him. Put him on the cross. He knows they're not going to He's even himself going to raise from the dead three days later, and still they're not going to believe him. He's prophesying with that statement, except you see signs of wonder. He's prophesying their unbelief. He's like, you're not going to believe anyway. And even in a sense, he's rebuking the man, the, the nobleman. Maybe not as strongly, because that guy did come to him. But he's, what he's saying is like, you just, you just want me to do something special. You just want me to do a magic trick for your family. You know, instead of, I want to do a lot more than just that. I care about you a lot more than just giving, taking your son's fever away. Jesus didn't want to heal his son's fever just temporarily. That was the end goal, just making him feel better, making him live. No, sooner or later, the son's going to get old, and the dad's going to get old. What's going to happen to them? What's going to happen when they get old and old and old? What's going to happen to the son and the dad at one point? They're going to die. Jesus knows it. He's like, that, that's not my end goal for being here on earth, just to, just to make your son that's sick healed and live. That's not the, the goal. There's more than physical healing in play here. Like, I want to heal and, and redeem not just your son's body, but, but both of you, your soul, and give you eternal life and rescue you. So get your eyes off the side and onto me. In turn, the same is true for you. Oftentimes, we come to God with an agenda, don't we? We come to God with, like, you know, usually born out of desperation. Like, oh, I lost my job. I'm, I'm, my family's sick. And my marriage is falling apart. My kids aren't doing this. And we come to God with this agenda of, like, you got to do something. you got to give me the miracle. And, and then what do we do? I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to get back to church. I'm going to give more. I'm going to be more faithful so that God will help me. And he'll really. And that's just not how it is. He's never left your side. He's never, uh, he's always been there. He's never stopped caring for you. The fact that you sustain to this moment through your desperation is his grace at work. We'll wander. Listen, yeah, amen, amen. We will wander, church. You're going to wander away. I'm going to wander away from his side oftentimes and get focused on me. But, but we can't live in guilt over that and just live in, oh, my goodness. Because when we do that, we don't, nothing gets accomplished. In those moments, we recognize our wandering. We, we should run back. So he's trying to get this man to get his eyes off the signs and onto him and his words when he says that. Except you see signs and wonders, you know, that's what only time we can believe. And it's almost as if this guy ignores what Jesus said. This guy's tired, he's desperate, he's worn out from a half day's journey from Capernaum. And Jesus says, hey, you know, you just want, Jesus, hear my son, please. And he's like, except you see signs and wonders, who won't believe? And it's almost as if the guy ignores that. And he says in verse 49, he says, no one said to him, sir, come down here my child dies. So you have to come or my kid's gonna, my son's gonna die. He believed this man that Jesus had to physically come back with him, take that journey back to his house to heal his son. That was, you know, a miracle worker. How does he work a miracle? He's right there living, he works a miracle. And what happened to this the next verse? Jesus said that to him. Go, 
go thy way. Now imagine for a moment, okay? Just, just try, to, try to feel what this guy's feeling. In his mind, what he believes is, I'm asking you to come to my house, and if you come to my house, you will heal my son. But you have to come to my house to heal my son. And the first thing Jesus says to him is, no, go home. Now, I don't know, you ought to be like, oh. you ever got like bad news? Or you're like a phone call, like you were hoping for a certain answer, then you put one like the opposite, and that pit in your stomach, like that anxious, it's just like, oh. just imagine what this guy's feeling. Now, have you ever asked Jesus to intervene in your desperation and he didn't do what you wanted him to do? He said, God, you're going to do this for my life, and this, this situation, my marriage, whatever, my job, I need this God, and then like it doesn't happen. And you're like, what? Now, that's common for us to ask God for something and him, for him not to give us that thing that we, we're sure that we need this to happen. It doesn't happen. It's common. The reason that's so common is because we're not God. We don't know best like we think we do oftentimes. Our way of handling things is very often not the way that God wants to handle things. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten me. And we must remember this, that, that God is not like the Wizard of Oz just granting us wishes. He's not just a genie in the Bible. It's like, I'm really desperate. I need this. I need it. It's not who he is. He's the God of the universe growing your faith. That's who it is. He's not just some genie giving us what we want, giving us our wishes. No, he's the God of the universe that cares enough about you to say no sometimes to grow your faith. Now, in this story, church, we're not sure if there's a pause or not. The scripture doesn't say there's a comma there. We don't know if, you know, if it was just one thing, you know, uh, go that way, that's something but, but we know that in this situation, he says, he follows it up with, thy son liveth, go thy way, thy son liveth. I know you, if I had heard that first part of the sentence, you know, that go thy way, I would have gone, oh my goodness, your son's going to live. Your son lives. Now, all the stories in John point to this same narrative. All the miracles, all the stories that we've read in John, it's all about believe, believe, believe that Jesus is God. Believe he is who he said. Don't just look for the signs. Believe what he's saying. This man has power, authority, money. He has enough to force the situation. Seize this man. Bring him with me. We're going to my house. You're going to heal him. He could have threatened him, but he didn't. The question for those reading, maybe you never heard this story. Maybe you never read this story in the scripture. There may be something you that, that you don't know. You haven't read the rest of the search. You don't know what happened. Is this guy going to believe Jesus? Now, belief is a journey in your life, your faith. It's a journey. It's not just, I have faith in God and that's it. No, it's a journey. It's a journey of growth. Jesus asked, I said it before, for mustard seed faith. It's a tiny amount of faith he asked for. But remember this. It's not about you having great faith. It's about the great object of your faith. It's not about having great faith. It's about the great object of your faith. Because you can have great faith in a weak object, in your toes. You can have a lot of faith that, you know, if I can just get this job and make this money and get this much of my savings and, and marry this girl, or do, and then if, if we can have great faith in a weak object, and if that's the case, you're toast. But you can have weak faith in a great object, and you're strong. It's a, it's a durable faith. Like, you, ever, you probably heard the phrase, like, I trust this chair. I sit in this chair. So, you know, if I stand in this chair, it's going to hold me up. I trust the chair. And it's going to be like, yeah, yeah, that's a trust. It's a picture of trust. Now, if I... If I had this little guy here, okay, and I said, I, you know, I trust that this is going to hold me up great. And I'm like, really, like, you'd be like, hey, like, don't, some of you are like, do it, I want to see you fall, it'd be hilarious. 
But if it's like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I believe, I fully believe that this is not going to tip over. It's going to hold me so And everybody's like, no, 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 don't do it. Like, don't do it. Because what is it? This, <laughs> I may have great faith. This is going to hold me. I'm going to be all right. You know? But the, the, the truth is, if it's great faith in a week, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to break my ankle. I'm still going to hurt myself. You can have great faith in a weak object and it doesn't accomplish anything. Listen, it doesn't matter how great your faith is. It's the great object of your faith. You place faith in things every day without even realizing it. So what does this guy do, though? He says, go thy way thy son liveth. Okay, in verse 50, let's get back to verse 50. Where is it? Where is it? Is that up there? Yep. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. He went his way. The man has small faith, sure, but he had enough faith to turn around and go home. Just imagine the depth of anxiety in this guy's heart. Remember, this isn't like a quick like five-minute drive up the road to see if the sun's okay. This is like a half-day's journey, 20 miles walking. It's a lot. Put in your GPS, 20 miles away walking. It's going to be like, hey, this is a long time. 20 miles. In the hot sun. Just imagine the anxiety, but he, there's no phone call. Hey, is he okay? Or how are you doing? Texting? There's none of that at all. There's a gap between the expression of faith, turning around and walking, and the validation of faith. Seeing if what Jesus said was actually going to happen. The modern man says, Show me and I'll believe. And Jesus says, Don't, don't trust, don't even trust your eyes over my word. Trust my word above all. You ever see something that wasn't really there? I mean, I'll tell you, I can tell you how many times at my house I brought the garbage out at night. And I'm like, there is definitely a bear out here. I know there is. And there's no bears in the cave, but there's one out here. Right now, I saw it moving in the bushes. Took a little bind out. Okay? You see, you're like, I know that that's there. We'll be driving the car at nighttime, like, with the kid, and they got the DVD going on. And I'm telling you, like, something will flash at the little DVD screen. I'm like, I'm getting pulled over right now. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have speed. And I'm like, no, that's just a stupid thing. We think we see something. It's not like you see a reflection in something. You're like, there's a robber. There's a thief in this house. Get the gun. It's like, no, no, no. That's just a reflection. <laughs> it's not really there. Don't trust yourself in what you think you see in your life. Trust God in his word. Man says seeing is believing. Jesus says believing is seeing. And one day you're going to see me working in this situation. He takes our weak faith and he strengthens it by validating it. Jesus is that great object of your faith that will always come through. He will not fail you. You have to understand that. So the man believes enough for his son's healing. He turned and walks down the road. In verse 51 we see, and as he was now going down, his servants met him. We don't know how far into his journey he was. His servants met him and told him, saying, thy son liveth. Hallelujah. What he said was true. Jesus said healed him. It's exciting. Verse 52. Look what it says. It says, then inquired he, then inquired he uh, of, the, of them the hour when he began to amend. And he, they said unto him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Verse 53. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. This is, the, again, the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. It clicks with him. His servants come. Hey, your son's alive. He's okay. The fever's gone. And what did the guy say? He says, when was it, though? When did he heal? When did the fever leave him? And they told him, you know, it was at the seventh hour, and it clicked. The minute Jesus had said to him, go thy way, thy son liveth, the fever had left. And I believe that this is the moment 
that he didn't just believe that his son was going to be okay, but this is when he said, that guy is who he says he is. This isn't just about a miracle. This isn't just about a son, my son healing. No, that was, that's God in the flesh. That's the Messiah. Just imagine the reunion when he finally gets back home. His, his son probably up and about, maybe run around playing, and they embrace, and there's tears, and man, a miracle has happened. Look what he did. i got to tell you about this. Jesus, he's real. It's, his whole house believed this is the one. And all the while, Jesus knowing this, think about this. Jesus knowing, thinking about this nobleman's son. You don't have to lose your son because my father is going to lose his I'm going to be lost. Jesus was going to die on a cross. I'm going to be lost so you and your son can be found. Who is bigger than the Amen church? Who is bigger than. And for us, church, will you take this journey of growing faith? Some of you may be experiencing dark emotions and desperate moments in your life. But you've got to know that you may be on the verge of massive blessings and massive validations of, of your faith where God proves himself active in your life. You have to understand that, church. It's a journey. And to those maybe here that struggle with faith, wondering if God is really there, if he's really real, it's not just, it's not a stretch to just place your trust in him. It's not just the idea of God. I believe there's a higher... I'm talking about Jesus being who he says he is. He's never failed me. He'll never fail you. That's the kind of faith that's called trust, resting in him. So church, as you leave, as we leave today, would you remember these things in your desperation? And I know, I know that some of you are desperate this morning. Some of you are living in a moment of desperation and you don't know what's going to happen. Would you do with this nobleman to go to Jesus and ask, bring that small faith to him. Talk to him. Beseech him. Beg him. God, I need you. Then believe him at his word. This man believed. When he said, go home, he said, okay, turned and walked. And it was a scary journey, wasn't it? For a time, until that faith was validated. Obey him and keep walking. You, you may not have an answer today. You may not have an answer tomorrow. But just trust him and keep walking through life. Keep asking him to grow your faith. More issues are going to come up. This is a fallen world, believe me. But obey him and keep walking. I want to leave with this thought. Faith is action without the results. Faith is action without the results. Faith is walking the 20 miles back home. Each step, a step of faith. My son was dying when I left, at the point of death when I left. Each step is a step of faith. Donald, when he was a little boy, was choking on a mint. Now it's in Michigan. I was working across the, across the parking lot at the church. Marissa was home calling me. I was choking, I was choking. Fed home, drove the van up on the lawn, <laughs> ran inside, she got him upside down, trying to get him the Heimlich, the phone with 911, trying to get this whatever, we didn't know what it was, out of his throat. Every time she put him back up, he'd start like, getting white. It was a scary moment for us as pretty new parents. So she gives me the phone, I'm talking on her one, like, how old is he? He's this old. Okay, I'll tell him all these questions. And I'm like, oh, like, shut up and get somebody here, like now. I don't care about your stupid questions. Stop wasting time and get somebody here. It felt like forever went by. And finally, here Marissa called, exhausted. It came out, it came out. And I said, oh, well, thank God. I said, hey, he spit it out. I was just a mint. And this is what they said to me. This is what the, the 911 operation said to me. She said, you know, 
Okay, that's great to hear. Help's been on the way since you called. Since the moment, since the moment she made that phone call, someone was already headed that way with an answer. I didn't know that. I'm like, what are you wasting time for? What's going on here? But, but the whole time I was stressing and worried, someone was, the answer was already on its way in church. We have to keep walking through life even when we don't see the answer. We want this clear answer and it's just not always gonna be there. We have to keep walking when we don't see the answer. We have to keep trusting when it's dark out. Somebody needs this truth today. Maybe it's just me. Somebody needs this truth today, church. Would you hear it? Would you apply it? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. No one's looking around. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Listen, it's okay to have weak faith. We're like, try so hard to have this strong faith. It's not going to just happen. It's a journey, church. But with that small faith, will you keep walking and stay committed to Christ even when you don't see the answer? How many would say, Donald, that's me this morning, my faith? It may not just be weak, but it sometimes seems like it's non-existent. I really struggle with my faith. Would you slip your hand up so I can see it? Anybody? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mine's up too, church. Even when he's your last resort, he's really glad to see you. That's the God we have. That's the Savior we serve. Would you talk to him this morning? Would you take a moment as the music plays and say, Lord, increase my faith. Maybe there is an issue you're facing right now. Maybe there is a struggle you're facing right now. Would you say, Lord, you know what's going on in my life. And I just don't know how to make sense of it. I need your wisdom. I need your continued, everlasting grace. Help me, Lord. Help me. Lead me. Teach me. God, I don't know what you're trying to do in this situation. It's frustrating and it hurts. But I love you and I trust you, Lord. I love you and I'll, I, I want to keep my eyes on you, not on the answer that I think I need. God, we love you. We thank you. You're a good and faithful father. Would you bless us as we dismiss? Would you increase our faith?